So would you give it up for Isaiah Nabwa? All right. Uh, thank you, Pastor. My Bible closed, but it's okay because um, I wrote it down here. Um, wow. Morning, guys. Merry Christmas. <laughs> thank you. Okay, before I want to start my message, I want to be very honest with uh, you guys. I want to really let myself be vulnerable. And um, the thing I want to be vulnerable about is I am afraid of you. Like, I, I fear man. I fear man a lot, and I know it's not good, but I do a lot of my time. Um, by the way, is it okay if I speak English? Because I'm not good in Tagalog. Um, I'm going to speak English for most of this. Maybe I'll do some Taglish if I feel crazy. I'm just kidding. Um, but but most of, much of my time preparing this message, I, I really thought about, man, how is this going to shape my percep- uh, their, their perception of me? How is this going to prevent me to being embarrassed when they reject this message? And it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. I should not tremble before... You guys, I'm going to tremble before God, and that's the decision I'm going to be making. And I want to be vulnerable to you guys because I want you guys to be vulnerable with what I have to say today. And I I believe this is a really, really important message. But, yeah, so with with the fear of God in my heart, I should not fear what you think, but I should fear what God thinks about what I'm going to say to you. And, you know, because Jesus only spoke what the Father would tell him to speak. And in the same way, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm only going to speak what God wants me to speak, not what you guys want me to hear. I'm not going to try to please you guys. I'm sorry. I'm not here for pleasure. I'm here for truth. And, And it's Christmas in three days, and you might be wondering why is this 20-year-old Filipino who can barely speak Tagalog speaking to you in this Christmas message? And I'll tell you, I'm wondering the same thing. <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's not be interested in, in man's word. Let's not be interested in Isis's word, but let's have a desperation and an eagerness for, for God to be the one to speak to you guys. So um, before we, I start my messages and before I even start cell, whenever we open the word of God, I always go to Isaiah 66. So can we turn to that verse? And I, man, I'm in love with this. one of my favorite uh, two verses in, in the whole Bible, but obviously I love the whole Bible. It says here, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Man, that's beautiful. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And what? Who tremble at my word. So, uh, so I, I always proceed. Uh, I always start off with this because we need to have the right approach when we listen and when we hear the word of God. We have to tremble at the word of God. It's, it's, we have to get every single thing that the word of God gives. Imagine if I, if I had a bomb right now. Boom. It's about to explode in five minutes. And I give you guys the instruction how to defuse the bomb. And if you mess up in one of those instructions, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode. How are you guys going to be treating those instructions? Are you going to skim through it and be like, okay, I'll, I can figure this out? Or are you going to get every single detail of those instructions to make sure you got everything, you grasp everything, you know how to do everything? More so with the word. 
more so with the word of God. You have to tremble. God, I want to know everything. I want to grasp everything. I want to do everything because, Lord, this is, this is your word, the revelation of who you are. So I want us all to have that same mentality, that same approach. And I want to go to 1 Corinthians 2. And I know I haven't opened in prayer yet, but um, there's a reason. <laughs> so let's go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5. It says here, and so it was with me. Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, this is Paul, by the way, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And then the, the reason why I'm reading this before, because I want us all to, to pray and petition together that, that you will not receive Isis wisdom. I'm not that smart. <laughs> I, I want us all to pray and petition with a faith and desperation that God's Spirit will demonstrate his power today in our hearts through his word. So um, I don't know if you guys are used to this, but I want you guys to just pray with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kneel in prayer. I'm going to really ask God in reverence for him to speak to us today and just, just pray along with me. Lord God, in this moment, God, we need you. Lord, there is no power in, in, in my eloquence or my persuasions. There's, there's no force behind it. It is only your Holy Spirit that can change lives. It is only your Holy Spirit that can touch hearts, God. So we come with a faith and expectation, God, in how good you are, in your goodness, in your faithfulness. You said, Lord, when we asked your Holy Spirit, Lord, for your Holy well, when we ask you for your Holy Spirit, God, you would give him to us. And God, by faith, we claim we've received it, God. Lord, that your word will pierce our hearts, Lord. You would undeafen our ears, unveil our eyes, let our hearts be open with this eagerness for, for reception of your word. And I pray, God, by faith that your word does not come back to you empty or void, but it will always accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. Come before me, God. Do not let me get any of the glory, but let it just be you, God. Just be glorified in this message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, uh, I love Christmas. It's, it's my favorite holiday. And if I'm going to be honest with you, it's not because it's, you know, the fulfillment of the promised child of God, my, my, my Savior. I love Christmas because I love presents, uh, if I'm going to be honest with you. And um, if you ask me what my love language is, it would be uh, gifts and service. I love gifts. I'm greedy. It's not good. I repent in Jesus' name. <laughs> but I always love Christmas. But um, even though it is my greediness that, you know, sparked and ignited my, my love for Christmas, you know, when, when I came to know God, when I came to know God to the point that oh, I really want to know God, I, I realized you know, the, the, the foundations of my faith. You know, like, 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 like grace, like, like, like uh, the cross and faith and holiness. The foundations of my faith became so amazing. I was always awestruck by it. 
Because before, when, whenever someone talks about the cross, I would just roll my eyes. It's like, I've heard this so many times. This, you don't stop talking about the cross. Like, like, like I've heard it. I, I've got tired of it. Napagod na ako kasi ulit ng ulit. But, but, ang galing ng Tagalog ko, no? Oh. <laughs> but, when the knowledge turned into a revelation for me, when, when, when that revelation, He's given me by His Spirit, by His grace to know, to know Him, and I'm talking about God, not just anyone, it changed how I saw grace. It changed how I saw faith and love, and it changed how I saw the cross. I didn't know about its infinite depth. And today, my, my goal is to make Christmas more meaningful to you. But if I'm going to be honest with you, um, I wouldn't have said that if it wasn't so close to Christmas. But uh, today I wanted to talk about a high view of God. And, and a high view of God will make Christmas more meaningful to you, but that's not the point of this message. Uh, the point of this message really is for us to fix our eyes and, and see God for who He is. Because the life-defining, the life-transforming, life-determining question the most important question you are ever to answer in your life is found in Matthew 16 let's go to verse 13 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do you say who, uh, who do people say the son of man is they replied oh so some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets but but listen to this 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 is this is the most important part but what about you? But what about you? Who do you say I am? That is the most crucial question you are ever to answer in your life. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? When, 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 when Peter had that revelation of who Jesus truly is, you know what Jesus says? On this rock, on this revelation of who I am, I will build my church. Do you understand? The, the, the church is, is founded on the revelation that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Do you understand this? So, so, so this is what happens. So who is Jesus to you? Because the way you live, the, the way you worship, the way you have faith, the way you, you go about your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your, with your classmates, everything will be determined by this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Not just who is Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? The, the, who do you believe Jesus is? Because when I say I believe, when I say believe, I, I truly mean believe, because your relationship with someone is determined by your view of them. This is very important. Your relationship with someone is is determined by how you see them, by your perception of them. For example, Noel. I feel very rude calling my dad by, by his first name. He is my father, not because he he's the one that. My dad, um, but but I see him as my father, so I will treat him as my father. He sees me as a son, so he treats me as a son. It's really sad that not everyone sees their father as their father, and they don't treat their father as their father. 
another example is a teacher. Why do you relate to your teacher, a student to a teacher? Because you see them as a teacher. Do you understand? Your, your perception of someone determines your relationship with them. And the same thing with God. Your relationship with God is determined by your perception. By how you see God. By, by this question. It's determined by this. Who is Jesus to you? Um, the reason why many people's relationship with God is it's so off. is because their view of who Jesus is. Their view of who God is and the Holy Spirit is. Uh, it's off. That, 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 that's why the relationship. The way they see God. Malidem. That the greatest problem of man is, 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 it's not that they're unable to answer. The greatest problem of man is, is that Jesus is not who Jesus ought to be in their lives. Jesus is not who Jesus is supposed to be in, in their lives. That's the greatest problem of man. But the sad part is many Christians fall into this. It says here in James 2, 18 to 19, But someone will say, you will have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. I want us to understand that our faith births our actions. Our actions display the existing faith within us. In fact, and it says in Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but by their actions... They deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You claim, your claim does not always reflect the realities of your faith. Just because you say you believe doesn't mean that you really do believe. Your actions will display that. Your actions don't determine that. It displays what's already there. So when you, when you just think to yourself and you and answer to yourself, Oh no, God, Jesus isn't who he's supposed to be in my life. I want you to know that everyone take a deep breath. You see that? That's, that's God's grace. Every breath you have is God's grace. You still have a chance to correct your view of God. Man, how, how good is our God for the breath that we have? And there is a call of correction. God must be to you who God really is. All right? God must be to you who God really is. There must be an accuracy. To our view of God or else we will have a wrong relationship with him and our very lives will be very wrong. You know who God is, it's definite. He's unchanging. He is truth and truth never changes. We live in a world where truth always changes for some reason. But the thing about truth is it's absolute. Truth is absolute. It's not subjective. He is truth and God never changes. Your life moves in the trajectory of what you believe is true. I don't care how much you believe and devote yourself to what you believe. If it is not true, you are living a lie. You understand that? If, if God is not who he is to you, then guess what? You are living a lie. Truth is not accorded to the believer. It is the believer who should accord himself to the truth. Truth does not change because you believe hard enough. An example of this is, Pastor Tim, um, can you please stand up? And So what if uh, Jared comes, comes to me and says, hey, I see. This is how uh, Pastor Tim looks like. He's a 
black midget. <laughs> and then my sister would come, no, 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 no. Look at him, Jerry, you're so foolish. He's a Chinese seven-footer. And it, but what if both of them believed so hard? Does it change the fact that he's a Filipino? I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, you can say that. No. It, it does not change the fact of who he is. But the thing is, the way they see him will determine how they have a relationship with Pastor Tim. Right? So, so this is just the truth. So, so many people will... will, will will try to define God by how they want God to look like instead of how God actually looks like. For example, and this is, this is one of the, the most ignored part of the Bible, a lot of people don't believe that there's a hell. A lot of people don't believe, oh, he's so loving. How can he send people to hell? Yes, he's loving God. That's why he gave us grace. But he also will bestow judgment on those who reject that grace. That's just the truth. How do I know? It says in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without the mercy of the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of God. If God is not who God truthfully is, which is revealed by his word and by his spirit, you are living a lie. Everything in your life will be messed up. There is no greater picture of God painted than his very word. I want you guys to know that this right here reveals who God is. This is a, a, the revelation of, of who God is and, and to believe God for who he is. Not for who you want him to be. So before we get to application, um, I want to show you guys what an accurate perception, what an accurate view of God will do to your life. And when I say accurate view, I really do mean high view of God. Because there's no way you can have an accurate view of God and not have a high view of God. So this, this is what it's going to do to your life. And, and I want to warn you guys, it could be challenging. Because... Not many people want to accept this, but it's the truth we need to face. The first, a high view of God will cause you to fear God. A high view of God will cause you to fear God. Do you guys know who Paul Bevere is? Uh, I know um, this church reads um, a lot of his books, and I know my church does. John Bevere, I'm sorry. I got confused by Paul Revere. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the British are coming. I, I don't know if you guys know this in Philippines. But uh, John Bevere, amen. He said, fearing God is not so much about being afraid of God than it is about being afraid not being with God. And I'm sorry, but I disagree with that quote. Um, I, I don't completely disagree, but I don't completely agree. And the reason why is fearing God is about being afraid. It is. Um, not only will you lose grace, if you, if you separate yourself from God, you won't have grace. 
you, you, you won't have mercy, you won't have favor, you won't have all that. But also, you're going to receive what you deserve, which is wrath, which is justice, which is punishment. In Matthew 12, 30, he says, if you are not with me, you're against me. And imagine being against God. That's a very scary thing, being against God. And in Revelation 5, 11 to 14, let's just tremble at this word. This is John. Then I look and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them say, to be praised and honor and uh, I'm sorry sorry to, to him who sits on the throne and the, the lamb be praised and and honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen the elders fell down in worship we need to come we, 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 need, we need to have an acceptance that that we are not needed by God to be worshiped God doesn't need us to be worshipped. God's not going to stop being God because we stop worshipping him. God right now is, is being worshipped. He's in heaven. Ten, thousands and thousands and millions of angels encircle his throne just saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is, is, the, is the God. And, and he doesn't really need us to worship him. But if anything, God gives us grace to allow us to worship him. Because get, guess what our purpose is? To glorify God. Your purpose is not to get a job, to be successful, to have a family. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. And the fact that we are able to glorify God, that is grace. That, that's our purpose. Because the, the reality beyond what we can see, beyond what we can touch is heavenly worship. In um, Isaiah 6, it says, in the year that King Isaiah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. I want you guys to really imagine this. Really imagine this in your head. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, but before we continue, when have you guys ever been to a wedding? The the longer the the train of the veil, right? Veil, the dress. It says there's just more glory. Um, the train of God's robe fills the whole temple. I want you guys to understand the implications of the glory of God. Above him were seraphim. These are divine creatures, each with six wings. Two wings covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me. Woe to me. That's what Isaiah said. Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth. See, 
this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here am I, send me. Isaiah's response to the revelation of God's greatness. Isaiah's response to the revelation of God's holiness was not an attempt to justify his own sinfulness. It wasn't to bargain with God. God, I'm not that bad. God, I've done good things. No, no. He, he, it was immediate confession. He says, oh my gosh, I am I'm a man of unclean lips. Before the holiness of God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. He feels like he's about to get destroyed. The fear of the Lord at the sight of God's holiness did not lead Isaiah to anything else but confession. And so many people do not fear God because they worship a small God. They worship a small God. When their prayers aren't answered, what do they do? They complain. They blame God for all the problems of their lives. When they disagree with something in the Bible, they question God like they know how to be a better God. (laughs) Some even ignore crucial parts of the word of God because they think God needs to be defended. Or, or something. It's like, uh, maybe God didn't really say there's hell. Maybe, maybe God does allow homosexuality. It's, it's, you know, he's loving. No, no, you don't need to defend God. It's like, have you ever brought home an embar- embarrassing friend to your house? And, uh, and he, he smells bad and, and he's loud. So what do you do? You clean him. You tell him, hey, don't be annoying today, okay? My parents are going to see you. And you're embarrassed of him, so you have to change him, alter who he really is. But the thing is, God is not an insecure God. (laughs) God is who he is, and we don't need to defend God. He is who he is. He's sure of of himself. It says here in 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, listen, They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul says in the last days, people are not going to want to hear the truth. They're going to instead, if if, if they want a divorce and and they want to justify divorce, they're going to get preachers people with with a phd to say hey divorce is okay in the sight of god if, if, if they want to do sin they, they surround themselves with teachers that say it's okay but the thing is that's not the truth it's just merely a myth some don't wrench at their own sin because they don't know the offense against god and his holiness because the truth about man is we're sinful right we're, we, we've, we're sinful romans 3 it says no man will for all have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah's response to the revelation of the greatness of God is immediate brokenness and confession, right? Even Jesus revered God. It says in Hebrews 5, during the last days, and during the days, sorry, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And listen, ready? And he was heard because why? His reverent submission. Jesus revered God. And he's the son of God. How much more are we to fear God who are adopted into sonship? 
right? So, 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 so this is what a high view of God will give you. It will cause you to fear God. But another thing that, 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 another thing that the fear of God, a high view of God will give you is this, faith. A high view of God will give you faith. As Christians, the very means in which we get salvation, how, how we are saved is what? By grace through By grace through faith. That's how we're saved, right? Many people don't believe in God. And even many Christians don't believe in God. I mean, okay, this is an example. I'm a person who has trust issues. I I don't like it when people do stuff for me because I'd rather do it myself because they're probably going to do it wrong or they're not going to do it the way I want it. People don't like playing basketball with me because I'm a ball hog because I don't trust my teammates. And um, the, the sad part is, is people trust God the way I trust other people. They don't. <laughs> it's, it's simple. People trust God the way I trust people. They don't. Instead of having faith and believing that the work he has done on the cross is enough, they work for their salvation and manufacture this change of behavior that mimics Christianity. Because truthfully, if grace has not saved you, you are not saved. <laughs> If grace has not saved you, there was no force behind your salvation. But you have to believe in, in grace. You know, you, you are not saved by grace by changing your behavior. I want you guys to understand that. So many people believe that. But the truth is you are not saved by grace by, 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 by changing your behavior. Because what the pride of man likes to do is, is, is we like to put the name on our work. Who here has ever submitted an essay? Everyone, right? What do you do at the top? You put your name on it. Why? So you receive credit for your work. Right? And (laughs) the thing is, Jesus' name is written on the work of salvation. the, The work of salvation is completed. That means who gets the credit? Jesus gets the credit for the work of salvation. It is a complete work. And God hates it. When you try to co- contribute to that work and write your name on it. He, it's, it's a perversion of his grace. He, he hates that. You know, the, the work of salvation is perfect. You don't add anything. You don't add anything to it. You know, I love to cook. Um, when, when I make people taste my food, they're just like, oh, it's good, blah, blah. But the worst critic of my food is my sister. Every time I cook something, everyone's like, it's good. And my sister tastes it. She's like, mm. It needs some cumin. I was just like, oh, my God. And it's an insult to me because I believed it was perfect. Do you understand? So when we try to add anything to our salvation that God has already done, it was perfect already. It's an insult to God. Do you understand this? So you have to believe that Jesus Christ has died and he has risen. And that work is complete. Stop trying to act Christian. Just be one by letting his blood cover you and let his Holy Spirit transform you. When you have a high view of God, you will have faith to trust him, not just with your salvation, but with your life also. You know, people don't trust God with families, with their finances. People don't don't trust God with, with their school, their work, their future. Because they don't have a high view of God. An example of this is, what if I take you to uh, the basketball court? 
And Pastor Tim says, okay, if IC makes this three-pointer, you will get $1 million. Pesos. I know, dollars is worth more. Dollars. No, it doesn't matter. But if he misses, you're going to lose $1 million. Pesos. Would you trust me to, to shoot that for you? Probably not, right? Because <laughs> you don't know how good I am. I'm just kidding. Um, but what if you read about me in the papers and it says, a miracle child, never miss a three-pointer from birth. And then you followed me around. And then you saw me shoot th- 100 three-pointers and I never missed once. Would you take that bet? You would, right? If only people knew that God never fails. If only they knew God will never, has never, ever made mistakes. If only people believed in God. If only they believed in the word of God. Because the word of God has so many promises to keep us holy. Because the reason why I say that is, is, is God hates sin. And guess who sins? It's the broken people who sin. It's always the broken people who sin. When, when they don't feel like they have enough, they prioritize money and work instead of God. When, when, they don't, when they feel insecure, they put their security on their image and what people's opinions on them and their accomplishments. When they don't feel whole, they cling on to poisonous relationships. When, when they feel hopeless and in pain, they numb themselves with, with anything, alcohol, drugs, whatever. It is the broken people who sin, if only they had a high view of God. If, if only they believed God is enough to, to fill every void. If he was strong enough to, to give hope to the hopeless. If, if he was loving enough to give joy to the depressed. And to provide for you. If, if only you had a high view of God, they would have believed. Because the word promises them. If only they had a high view of God. And, and the, the last thing I want to talk about is a high view of God will cause you to cling on to grace. Grace and mercy is not a big deal when the person giving it is not a big deal to you. That's why I had to, fear with, I had to start with the fear of the Lord. Because, because I wanted to talk about that. The God who gave you grace. The God who died for you. The, 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 the God who is so madly in love with you is the same God who is being worshipped in heaven. He is the same God who created the universe. That the God who loves you so much. That in Gethsemane, he would cry, he would bleed. Just for your sake, he says, God, if there's any other way. Because I know the suffering that's about to come to me. But Lord, not my will be done. Your will be done. Man, if, if, if the reason why I had to start with the fear of the Lord. Because it will elevate grace. Man, this is... The grace that I receive is from this God. The God who created the heavens. And uh, you know what David says? Uh, when, I create, when, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have put in place. Who are human beings that you are mindful of them? David saw the greatness of God and he was amazed by God's ability to give him grace. And... Um, if people knew that God loved them, this would change lives. This is the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is what? 
the power of salvation. This saves lives. The judge wants to forgive. God is, is, is a, he's not like one of those humble rich people. God is a show off with his richness. He likes to show off. It says here in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. God is rich in mercy and God is rich with grace. Guess what? He wants to show that off. He wants to show that off to you. The God, the King of kings, knelt to wash your feet. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, knelt to wash your feet. And in practical application, a high view of God will cause you to fear, to have faith, and cling on His grace. And I urge this message to you because I do love you guys. I, I love you guys, and I want you guys to be saved. But I want you guys to understand that salvation is not avoiding hell. Salvation is knowing Jesus. Salvation is knowing Jesus. It says here, now this is eternal life in John 17, 3. That they know you. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want to know Jesus because I myself have come to know him and I want to know him more. He saved me, you know, when I was hopeless, when I was at the brink of my life. He gave me hope. When, when I was faithless, he gave me faith. When I was broken, he was my healing. Psalms 34, 8, the last verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And, and all I want you guys to do, this is a great God. Taste and see for yourself for yourself you can't rely on your leader you can't rely on your pastor to constantly feed you you have to taste and see for yourself he is so good he's so good know him by his word know him in prayer go on your knees every single day seek him taste and see for yourself don't just don't be satisfied hearing other people's experiences with god for yourself taste and see so I just want to pray for you, uh, for you guys in closing. Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Your name is above every other name. And Lord, you don't need to be worshipped. You already are being worshipped. If our worship ceased, Lord, the rocks will cry out in silence for your praise. But Lord, you are so good to us that you would reconcile us to you. Lord, by your grace we, that we've tasted and in your goodness that we have seen, Lord, let us be witnesses. Let your goodness and your love, Lord, overflow within us, overflow in your church. And God, Lord, transform lives by your word. I know it does not come to you empty or void, but it always accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent it, Lord. Be glorified today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.